Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Scope. This is Raj back at it again with Jason, who's actually recording right before a Sixers game. What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm excited. It's uh, glad to be back. I know you uh, you had a couple of emergency pods, which is really cool um, for some significant injuries, but um, glad to be back. I'm sitting, looking at the skyline right outside of the arena right now. So we're doing, I'm doing this podcast from my car. Nice. Yeah. A couple emergency pods and now it's a state of emergency in California. So yeah. Getty fire burning about five miles away from where I am South, but Oh wow. Yeah. Not too bad. I mean, it could be a lot worse though. We heavy winds blowing West 80 mile per hour winds last night, super dry. The, what I've learned from the fires in California is don't live near the hills. Yeah, and yet the hills are so nice. Um, it's just a it's a tough spot because you've got the uh, it's really a dry area, and when you have these kind of things happen, it can it can turn really bad really really quickly. Yeah, all the great parts of having low humidity um, come can come back to bite you when uh when these things start i mean absolutely now we're seeing more and more kind of extremes as well with the dries with global warming kicking in which is a real thing by the way and so you have pretty much you have a bunch of tinder waiting to be lit so with the getty fire they said that essentially a uh, a tree tree branch was blown by the wind into some power lines which sparked the fire mm-hmm. Is this the Santa Ana winds? Yep, San- time of year. Yep, Santa Ana winds, and then yeah. up north is even worse. There's a fire up north. I think it's called the Sonoma County fire. It's like eighty thousand acres right now. I don't know if I told you before, but I drove through the the twenty seventeen Northwest um, forest fires, and. It was, I have photos of going through Glacier National Park and you're thinking you're going to see glaciers. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a point where I'm on, I think it was I-80, where I thought to myself, man, no one has stopped me, told me to turn around. Am I just driving into my death right now? And I had to, uh, I think I was supposed to stop for the night in Whitefish, Montana. And the air quality was so bad from, I mean, it just, felt like you were sitting inside of a campfire um that i had to just get back in the car and keep driving west mm. until i got like to the western edge of the of the massive massive forest fires it's wild stuff it's on the east coast it's just not something that we really deal with we we barely even have brush fires but out west it's just becoming a huge problem yeah it's pretty much a yearly thing now and by the way spoiler alert jason did survive so for anyone wondering I did survive. Well, yeah, I did. We don't know how. Or is, we don't know. Or am I just living? Am I living with myself as a clone? Did I go to that? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw that that uh, Netflix uh, series, "Living with Yourself." I've heard of it. Clone. I have not seen it yet. Or you are a, a or you're a Cylon, one of the two. <laughs> right. Let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So first things first, there was a possibly major injury. Turns out it's a day-to-day injury last night with Trey Young going down, who's been incredible to start the season. 
he had what we call an inversion ankle sprain. He came down and landed his ankle went inwards, which is the most common mechanism for injury. And ankle sprains actually account for the most days lost to sport of any injury. And a lot of that, honestly, is because people don't take mild ankle sprains injury injuries seriously, which then leads to persistent nagging and pain, which then leads to downstream costs as well with that issue. Now with Trey, they're saying it's day-to-day. And, and that Atlanta medical staff, for those who don't remember, is actually quite good. They took the lead trainer from the Warriors who was there the last uh, this happened about two years ago. The Warriors trainer, who was excellent, and they took her and made her the head of their sports performance and uh, rehab mm-hmm. staff. So they're excellent. Yeah, when when I first saw it, I've had that that sort of step on someone else's foot, roll the ankle, and I've done it a hundred times, and I've had three broken ankles. And I will tell you that the bad sprains. Uh, associated with those breaks the sprain was always worse than the break um, so I saw it I flinched you know I winced uh, really glad that there's no uh, lasting impact he is such a fun player to watch he's got he's just got magic in him and he's he's fearless um, in a way that you just love to watch a guy like that play so the NBA is better for having him in the league Oh, absolutely. The one thing I haven't looked at yet with him, which is always a knock on him, I don't. I haven't seen his de- his defensive advanced numbers. I mean, obviously, he has a, he had a great start to the year, yeah. but I haven't seen those defensive well, numbers yet. Yeah, when I watched him in college, because I I love doing the draft stuff, and that was a that was a class that I watched pretty closely. Mm-hmm. And watching him, he was super fun um, and exciting player. However, what worries you, and, and you saw this the other night, they played a back-to-back. He got hurt in the second game of the back-to-back. But against Philadelphia, he came out shooting 28-footers. Um, but what Philadelphia did was they made him defend. They leaned on him. They wore him down. And later in the game, he he basically, you know, he lost a little bit of, elevation he lost a little bit of quickness he started to wear down and he just became less effective over the game and that's the fear is that i do think they make the playoffs but uh, the fear is players like that in a seven game series you cannot use steph curry as the um as the uh, normal use case he is a huge outlier uh you worry that someone like trey would wear down in a seven game series yeah absolutely i mean you worry that you worry that Steph's going to wear down over the course of a full season. I think we talked about this. I can't remember what pod we talked about it, but there was that season where Steph, when he first came into the league, he had Jared Jack alongside him to handle some of those playmaking duties. And then Jared Jack, I didn't sign with the nets and, and then Steph's usage rate and wear went up. So then they signed Livingston to help again, give allow Steph to have that break off the ball. And so you're going to see the same thing. I believe Atlanta will recognize that, hey, Trey can't be the primary ball handler all the time. Like It really tires you out. If you look at some of C- like CP3, to me, is a prime example of a guy who did that for a long time. And then his slew of lower body injuries, especially muscular injuries, it, it just wears you out. And then once you have one injury, and then if it starts 
just cascading into multiple, it's really hard to get out in front of that. Yep. Yeah, I think he uh, he, he just one. He's going to be one of those players that um, is just fantastically entertaining, but may limit a team's ultimate upside. But he may not. You never know. He's just he's just a really special talent. He is absolutely special. Uh, the, 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 I always have this conversation with individuals, you know, ball handlers, dot ball dominant ball handlers who also shoot. The last one I actually remember winning a championship with a ball dominant point guard was Isaiah in 89. I can't remember a ball dominant guard winning anything of significance. To me, that's a title. Well, it really comes down to what position you consider Michael Jordan to be. I mean, for me, if uh, offensively he was the point guard, defensively he was the two guard, but offensively he was the point guard. His, you know, his Steve Kerr and um, some of the other guys that would that would be point guard sized, they were just there to space the floor. See, I'd argue Pippen was more the point forward than Jordan was, especially when you're running the triangle. Because they're putting Jordan in that mid post area in the triangle with Pippen bringing that ball up a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, we're, we're going way back. People probably are not that interested. But I think that's fair definitely later as Pippen grew into that role later later on. But there, when when Jordan was the most ball-dominant, he, he, you got into the half court and he was, he was essentially isoing and setting up and then he would kick out to those steep air types. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the triangles, you really don't even need a point guard. That was one of the big allures of it. Like for the Lakers, when Phil ran it, it was Ron Harper. Yes, a point, but to be honest, all Phil really wanted was a tall, lengthy, wingspan guy to be able to initiate and kind of be a... Right. So, I see the argument either way. Fisher, Derek Fisher was kind of... more of a spacer you just say kobe brought the ball up if not just as much we also had multiple guys go to initiate off off the bounce like ori could bring the ball up as well and that's when that triangle becomes really hard to guard you have anyone who can initiate out of the offense and then of course you have Shaq, which is a whole different ball game absolutely Mm -hmm. my favorite non uh 76er of all time there you go is one of my favorite people of all time. Any is there a reason for that or just I love everything about him. He's he is so um relaxed, comfortable in his own skin, willing to um he doesn't take himself too seriously and yet he's willing to try and become really good at so many different things. So his willingness to go learn how the police force works and go do that and have fun with it. And then he even had a TV show for a little bit where he would just go compete against other um, professionals in other arenas of life. And he would learn what they did and then he would do it. And he was, he was surprisingly good at so many different things. He's just a, he's a unique person. He's culturally just great for the, for, for our culture uh, great he, he, just a great personality and I think really underrated in his versatility as a as a human so I love Shaq fair enough 
I think you had a uh, you we had a you had a question for me regarding Trey. Oh yeah, so the question is if he was thirty two and not twenty two, and he rolled his ankle to that extreme because uh, it was almost his ankle was almost parallel and it almost hit the floor. It may have hit the floor. Um, does that result in a torn tendon or something much more serious? than uh what he what he experienced so his age and elasticity of his tendons effect it it depends the first thing the biggest thing i would look at is injury history if you have a 32 year old who has a recurrent history of ankle sprains and a lot of laxity it's going to lead to more severe acute injuries naturally Uh, secondly you got to look at how consistent that player has been how disciplined they've been with their ongoing training protocol, which especially with their muscular strength training, a lot of which helps build resilience against injuries. Now, thirdly, to your point, I think the biggest thing we have seen, especially with muscles, not as much with tendons to an extent as well, at least the most research has been done on, on the Achilles, that you do lose some of the elasticity as you age, which can lead to an increased risk for injury. And then secondly, you just have more wear on your body as well. So you have more wear and tear on those tendons and muscles and ligaments, which again, decreases your margin. So in general, yes, but now there are guys like say a LeBron who's so disciplined with his training that he's able to recover like a young player would. But then again, that takes like, I mean, he's an outlier in this case. Yeah, I think I I was I fell down. I didn't fall down, but I stepped down an extra step in New York uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, coming out of um, Grimaldi's Pizza Shop, shout out Grimaldi's mm-hmm. at the Limelight, um, and rolled my ankle pretty much the same way. And for about a half block, I'm talking to my wife, and I'm like, "Yeah, we'll see." <laughs> We'll see if this is broken or not. We'll see in, in about an hour. But I was able to walk it off. But I've had that happen so many times, and sometimes it's been really bad. But it always looks worse, and it always initially feels much worse than um, than maybe it, it ends up. So right. In this case, bad. the reason I thought it might be a little worse is because he, he was landing, and it wasn't just a normal like Plano when you're changing direction and something happens, he was landing, which puts more force on it, but looks like it wasn't that bad. My guess is because it wasn't pointed as far. It wasn't what we call planner at two planner flex. When he came down onto it, it was still stable. He just rolled it, but the risk is always going to be when he comes back. Okay. There's there's there will be inherently increased risk for re-injury. So they'll definitely keep an eye on him, especially if he starts to favor it at all. Which then, which can then lead to compensation across the entire lower body. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is Kuzma doing? Is he? I, I saw a couple of tweets of yours. It looks like he's progressing. He's playing. Yeah, is I mean, practice it. So five on five. What's he doing? Right. So today we didn't have practice, but he practiced with Lakers South Bay. So essentially, okay. from my understanding, if you Kuz, you send some tweets like, yeah, like the the, the, the Napoleon Dynamite. You know, yes, gif. So I'm guessing he did practice, which is a last step. 
before you clear for the game. So the, my assumption is that he's he's been cleared. He's been doing four on four, I think, since Saturday, and they've been up in the intensity, whether it's three on three, four on four, and then a half court to full court, and now full scrimmage would be the last step. So it looks like he's clear to go. And then Shams had that report as well saying he's pretty much 100%. It's just a matter of conditioning. Yep, that's good. And shout out G League uh, training camp this week. I've, I've been at uh, Blue Coats training camp this week, very close to my office. So I stopped over there and um, Zaire Smith, 20 year old, uh, first round pick from last year, is at training camp with the Blue Coats. And. Uh, those guys are getting started i'm really excited i think the you're starting to see more and more u.s players who previously would play in europe they're starting to opt for the g league because of players like um let's say norvell pell or or some of those other guys that have been able to play overseas come back spend one year in the g league and then catch on with an nba team and 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 uh, make a roster so um, the talent level is going way up. Uh, South Bay and Philadelphia and some of these other um, markets where they're very close, the, the two teams are very close to each other. You can really have pretty flexible interchange and use them as an outlet to get guys back. So it's good to see the Lakers using that Um some of the other franchises are hours away where it's a little more difficult. Like Boston is their, their G league franchise is in Portland. Mm-hmm. That's about two and a half hours. Um, and then Miami, I think their, their franchise is in Iowa and they kind of like it like that, but it really restricts how quickly you can move guys uh, back and forth. So, so shout out G league. Absolutely. It's been a great addition. What did we miss? That's it. Uh, well, we had one more topic, unrelated, but let me give some background to the viewers. I don't know how many out here are soccer fans, but I know Jason is also uh, passionate about this one. Not about soccer, but this topic about fan accountability when it comes to athletes. And so there, I'm, I'm a big, I'm an Arsenal fan. I grew up an Arsenal fan, and there was a. Uh, this past weekend on Sunday, our captain, Granit Xhaka, who's faced he, – he's pretty much like the KCP of Arsenal. He's scapegoated for everything. It doesn't matter what he does. Uh, he just, He's a scapegoat because they say you know he can't play. People are like, oh, he doesn't fit in the system, but the coach still plays him. So they take out his, their anger on him. He's the captain of, of, of the team. He was coming off the pitch. People started booing him because they, they said he was walking off too slowly. And he pretty much said, you know, he pretty much told him to screw off. And he walked off, threw his jersey on the floor. The background is, though, a lot of fans have said that, have tried to make it just about the booze. But this is a guy who's been berated in front of his wife, who was, who was pregnant. His wife's social media has been filled with, like, with death, with death threats while she was pregnant and even to this day. So this has been building for a long time and then prior to this we had a defender Shukran Mustafi who also had the same issue with with social media and he actually had to turn it off and then he had a very candid interview talking about how much it's affected him and yet nothing has been learned by seemingly anyone and I'm not saying 
Jaka or Mustafi don't have any, you know, uh, blame, especially Jaka with his reaction. But simply focusing on the players and this almost intentional naivete from the fans to say that, oh, it was only about us booing him when we see these same cycles over and over. This to me was something we, like, as fans, we have to also hold ourselves accountable. If we say that Absolutely. we're part of a club and our, one of Arsenal's slogans is uh, form is temporary, class is forever, that applies to myself as well. And so we can't hold a player. Maybe it's because we're around athletes. Jason, you see athletes all the time considering you're, you're on the beat. And so I view them the same as myself. Like they're still going to have emotions. They're not robots who can constantly take this abuse. And then when they act out, like suddenly I'm surprised to be surprised about it. I'm surprised he didn't act out earlier considering the stuff he's going through. You know, what have you seen in your own experiences? Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things like I, I would just ask that every fan before they start acting as though they are a victim. And it's one thing if you spend hundreds of dollars to go see your team um, and you see someone who's having a bad game. Boo. You know, if you want to boo someone and let them know that they're having a, a bad game in a general sense, it's one thing. However, some of the pointed personal really um, unfair uh, stuff that happens is is odd to me. And, and there are very few walks of life where you're going to walk out of your office, and this is what I try to tell people, you're going to walk out of your office at the end of the day and have a bunch of people look at you and, one, question everything you did that day, uh, that day, um, and take some really personal shots at little judgment calls that may or may not have worked out. But these are professionals. They get paid a ton of money. I get that. But um, there are so many fans now, especially with social media, who are entirely passive in their, um, in their consumption, with the exception of just taking pot shots Um and these athletes do see the stuff. They will all tell you that they don't look at social media. They will all tell you that. And yet, it's just not true. They, of course they do. Now, these are guys that, you know, they have a lot of rest and recovery time that we've talked about. You know, what do you think they're doing during rest and recovery time? They're going to be consuming hmm. uh, media just like the rest of us. Um, so they can't entirely block this stuff out. Um, and there are very few walks of life where you're questioned so harshly and so quickly right before and after you have to do your, uh, you know, perform your profession. So I would caution fans to understand that these, like you said, they are entirely human beings. Often they are in their early to mid twenties. Think about how, how tough life was for you in your early to mid twenties as you were really trying to figure out who you were. Um, the fact that someone handed you a, you know, a $10 million contract or, or, you know, even a $150 million contract. The studies have shown after a certain level of income, mm -hmm. you are no, it's, it's, it's a diminishing return as far as your personal happiness. 
So don't think that just because someone is making $10 million in a year and you are making whatever, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000 a year, that they are necessarily happier than you are. They may be more comfortable in certain points. They may have different concerns, but they're not necessarily happier. And if you are truly a fan of a team, then how do you think it's productive to try to mentally tear down and psychologically and emotionally tear down people on your club? It, it is uh, it's something that the Philadelphia market has struggled with for you know, 40, 50 years, being too hypercritical on their stars, being so obsessed with their performance that they pick everything apart. And I've said it for, for decades, Philadelphia eats its young, um, and that has just become sort of the norm now for, for sports with the Twitter age and, and sort of the social media age, um, where everyone feels like they're entitled to, um, you know, critique, uh, and they know that they'll never have to look these people in the face. So, yeah, you know, I would just caution that there's a productive level of motivating and then there is a whole range of very personal, unproductive critique. Right. And then, and to your point, it's also become a lot of selective tension. Now, if a player is playing poorly in all aspects, like for example, like Rondo last year, who was just terrible and there's no denying it in multiple aspects, okay, criticize him. But if a player is playing decently, but you only want to pick out those negatives and hyper-focus on that, with a complete bias towards that and and not acknowledge any other facet. For example, KCP is two first games. He's not shooting well, but he actually played really well defensively off and on the ball, most surprisingly. But all I heard was people saying KCP's this terrible player and all these things. And you know, funny that you said build up someone, I tweeted out the same thing. I don't understand the point of tearing down a player you know will be on your own team as fans let's try to pick this guy up right and so after that game too lebron had a moment with kcp where he was telling him man don't worry about it shoot the damn ball and to kcp's credit he's come out and shot the ball better but he still played the same level of defense and all these things but suddenly now fans are off his back because of course everyone values scoring so much highly than any other asset right so let's not be selectively attentive and when we when it comes to how we approach our evaluation of a player let's be objective for myself maybe it's something that i'm trained to do because as a medical professional i can't bias myself into i don't want to lead myself towards a certain conclusion right i have to look at all the things in front of me Otherwise, it leads to in, in, you know, endangering someone's long-term outcome. So maybe that's something that's trained for me and that's helped when I evaluate players as well. So it's always something that I caution against, as you said, when it comes to players, is that aspect of this hyper, hyper-criticism. And Philly definitely, you know, as an Eagles fan, I've seen that from Philly personally. As a Lakers fan, this huge fan base that expects so much and now has gone – you know, without playoffs for six years, that so you have people just kind of, you know, foaming at the mouth when it comes to anything. You see that same thing. Arsenal is the same way, where they've 
we've had a huge title drought. We haven't really been competitive for a while. And so again, you see a lot of these individuals who are starting to turn on players and coaches and scapegoats and take their anger out on them in multiple avenues now. And so with Xhaka going back to him, I mean, it's ridiculous that you can attack someone's wife and all these things. And then the fan base just wants to play it off. And the funny part is like no one will even answer up to it when you ask them, they'll just try to move on. Yeah. I mean, there are things that players can control and that's preparation effort and listening to their coach right and if if you see a player exhibiting those behaviors then let's not kill them based on whether um, a shot went in or did not go in now if, if they take terrible shots or they pass up shots that they really need to be taking then you have to question you know why why are they why are they not confident in those areas and mm-hmm. you know if you if you obsess over whether shots go in or go out Eventually, that player is going to get it in his head. Not going to want to hear the boos when he misses a, a shot. And he's going to start passing up shots that the team really needs him to take. Because, you know, the, the value of getting good shots is more than just getting the, getting the points. But it's, it's modifying how the defense has to approach you. So, you know, you, you, you see that manifest. Guys lose confidence. Um, it's... Uh, you know, try to uh, try if you really are a fan and you're deeply passionate that's great awesome now learn the the next layer of the onion and try to dig a little bit deeper in to the sport that you say that you love and look for the things that go beyond just the uh, just the obvious counting stats and box score absolutely I mean, in the end there's a shared accountability between fans and players and team right yes we're paying money to watch these guys. But at the same time, these guys have worked their entire life to oftentimes get to this point. And not only that, but if, if, you know, they've put all of their eggs often in the basket of being a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Many of them don't have five other careers that they could just fall into afterwards. So there, there is a ton of uh, high stakes for these guys um, that they that they have chosen this life um, and they were they I just promise you that the, the laziest person you think on the floor at any given time works his butt off probably far harder than you think the days of people just showing up you know going through the motions and then going out and scoring, you know, 15, 20 points in a game are over. These guys are staying after practice. It's, it's, they're in the weight room hours after practices it is, uh, is over. Um, and these, you know, you, again, you see this at the G league level where they're making 25 to $50,000 a year. Uh, and they're still putting in tons of hours and putting their uh, their bodies in line. Um, so just appreciate the work. If you see someone that's super out of shape or super disengaged uh, mentally and they're just un- actively unhelpful to their teammates, then boo. Just don't boo for the wrong reasons. Oh, absolutely. Just be mindful of the full context of what's happening. And that's the same way I would want someone to approach if, you know, 
me. So if I want someone who's observing me, let's say whatever, a performance review, I want them to understand full context. So when I quote unquote judge someone else, I want to know the full context as much as possible. So I want to apply the same standards to someone else that I'm going to apply to myself as well. And maybe fans will do it. As media members, we have a responsibility to sort of give people the opportunity to read between the lines and and show who's, who's really committed, who may be skipping steps, um, not just report on, you know, this person was three for 10 from, from three or something like that. Mm -hmm. Why did they take those 10 shots? Were they good shots? That's, we have a responsibility to to add, add that context that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that's been going on for a while and it will will continue to boil over, especially as players become more and more empowered as well. And so, you know, you have a lot more back and forth and you have a lot of individuals who are uncomfortable with that status quo being broken because before you could just say whatever you want and there was no pushback or in the opposite. And so, right. The way I see it, you know, if you're a, if you're a fan or a player, just think about, imagine like, like a kid is watching you and if you'd be proud of what that kid was seeing, right. Or not in, in that instant, to give yourself a little bit perspective on what you're doing or not doing. Right. Right. All right. I'm going to get in the arena. Uh, speaking of shoot arounds and players. Yeah, yeah man. Go, court so go boo your heart out for no reason at these guys. Since <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, During pregame. Anything about Funny thing about the media section is there's there are no re- reactions allowed yep. ever for anything. We have to sit there as though we are watching a funeral at all times. Yeah, that's tough. I don't. I mean, I don't know how y'all do it. That's right. I I don't know how I could do that at any of my team games. You know, I joke. If you if you ever want to stop loving something, do it for a living. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, nicely said. All right. All right, man, you can find uh, Jason. Just find you where? Uh, Twitter, jblevinsmba, and at thepaintedlines.com. Excellent. For myself, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and then I have a YouTube channel as well, at 3CB Performance, 3 Charlie Beta Performance. We'll catch you all next week.